Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David, and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon, this week's sermon, is given by my wife, Zoe Brown, and it focuses on Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through to 25, which say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Enjoy the sermon. During a recent tragedy, a colleague shared with me a precious experience. In the face of grief, fear and real hurt, she told me that despite all of this, she felt a sense of peace. She knew logically in her head that there was real sadness and great fear, but in her heart, she felt a peace that made absolutely no sense. It was a peace that passed all understanding. And in that space, it didn't deny the suffering around her, but it did give her comfort and strength to persevere. That night, as I was reading for my sermon this weekend, I found this from Tom Wright, who says, It is a common Christian experience that while many of the thoughts in our mind come from the ordinary flow of consciousness within us, sometimes we find other thoughts which seem to come from somewhere else hinting gently but powerfully at God's love. A key part of Christian discipleship is to recognise that voice and to nurture the facility of listening to it. I shared this insight with my friend and put words to something she didn't know how to describe. An experience, I would say, which was one of the Holy Spirit. One where she found not fear, peace and comfort, led gently by the Spirit who hinted at God's love for her and those around. 
And as we look further into our passage from Romans 8 today, we see clearly Paul teaching the church in Rome about an issue that is as real today for my colleague, for us, as it was then. And there exists for every person, every Christian in particular, a challenge to live and be led by the Spirit of God and to resist the spirit of flesh and fear. And in doing so, Paul outlines very clearly for the Romans and for us that in our lives we have a choice, either to live by the flesh or to live by the spirit. We know that this choice is not easy, and we know that it brings with it suffering as Christ suffered. But Paul also shows us how this choice is significant. It's life-changing because it has a clear purpose and point to free us from bondage and to see us adopted as God's own children. We are freed and we are adopted and we're made free in Christ, the result of which is that in the face of suffering and trial that surrounds us each and every day, we can persevere and we can see the hope that awaits us, the hope in which we were saved, that one day we will be redeemed into God's kingdom. Let's look at verses 12 to 15. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Obviously, this is not the first time Paul has drawn the contrast between flesh and spirit. He spent much of the previous chapters talking about it. But rather than thinking Paul is repeating himself, here he's actually expanding on not just the flesh and spirit, but how to live in the spirit with this gift of freedom through Jesus. And he uses the comparison, the choice, between the two kinds of debt, debt to the flesh or debt to the spirit. It's worth noting here that Paul's use of flesh isn't a condemnation of the human body itself. God made the body and God made the body in God's own image. The words in Greek for flesh and body are different, sarks and soma. Here Paul uses the word sarks or flesh which is referring not to our physical flesh as such, but to our own sin nature. And flesh refers to anything that leads us in the worldly desires, anything which keeps our minds and hearts away from God. And so in this first option, this debt to the flesh, Paul tells us quite simply that this relationship is one between the giver and debtor that is of slavery and fear. Now, many of the Romans to whom Paul wrote were slaves or former slaves, and they knew firsthand the fear that came from being owned by another person. Imagine living a life where someone who had control of you, who had had so little regard for your well-being or safety, they could sell you into an unknown or often worse situation at a whim. They'd work you to the bone, and they didn't necessarily care for your well-being. They didn't necessarily care to feed you and clothe you and keep you warm properly. It was a life that instilled fear at the best of times. 
By contrast, the alternative that Paul offers is debt to the spirit. And while this might seem counterintuitive, I want you to think, have you ever received a gift so generous, so precious, that you feel compelled to repay the giver, to somehow repay them with gratitude? Gifts by their very nature are designed to be free. The perfect example of this is the grace of Jesus. Nonetheless, when we receive something precious, we experience the will to show our gratitude for the gift. And this is where Paul is talking about this debt or this obligation. The grace of Jesus is so incredible. It is so great that it renders us debtors. We have a debt of gratitude and freedom, not oppression. We owe it to God, not to earn our salvation, but to honour the gift we are given by not ignoring it, by using it, by following it. So Paul's encouraging his readers and us to honour this gift by allowing ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God as we walk each day. He makes it clear that this choice is not easy. It's not an, oh, yeah, I've got the Spirit and I know exactly what I'm doing now and forevermore. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The language in this section indicates that this putting to death a sin is not a one-off action. It's a repeated daily struggle to resist the drive of sin, sometimes the compulsion of sin, and instead to allow ourselves to be led gently, calmly, clearly by God's Spirit. Paul's already written to the Romans that we are justified by faith once for all in Jesus' death and resurrection. But we know that Jesus didn't just appear on earth one day, then die, then rise again all in the same week. He lived a whole life, just like we do. He wrestled with the temptation of sin, just as we do. And it's his whole life, culminating in his death and resurrection, which reminds us that as we are justified in one moment, sanctification takes our whole lives. And there is a reason why Paul has spent so much time labouring on these in these previous chapters, developing the contrast between flesh and spirit. Our kids' talk last week was simple, choices between chocolate or chips, dogs or cats, winter or summer. But this choice between flesh and spirit is not simple. It's life-changing. Let's look at verses 15 to 17. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Slavery and bondage were chilling concepts that spoke to many of the Christians in Rome. For Jewish Christians, they knew the history of slavery in Egypt. For some others, they were actually slaves at the time or had been in their life. And for all of them, they knew the reality of bondage to a power that didn't care for them, value them or uplift them. 
Mortal slavery in Paul's day evoked this sense of fear. And I'm sure whilst here now we may not be slaves in that sense of indentured servitude, we can still be slaves to the desires of this world which create fear in our lives. And so this gift of the Spirit through Jesus is precisely what frees them and us from this bondage of fear. As incredible as this gift was, Christians knew who had been freed from real slavery that as wonderful as this physical freedom might have been, it didn't necessarily change their social status. They may have been free, but they were still orphans. Jews didn't practice adoption. There was no social welfare. There was no superannuation or pension or physical inheritance. They were free, but they were still alone. So it didn't ensure their future. But more than just freeing us from bondage, the gift of Jesus also offers another incredible layer. Adoption into God's family. So close to God that we can call him Abba, Father. Now, for people of Paul's day, for ordinary people, this was outrageous, almost preposterous. Jewish people, Jewish Christians knew God, but they knew God as almighty and awe-inspiring, so fearful that they didn't even say his name. The word in Hebrew in the Old Testament, they don't even utter. So to know God so intimately that you could refer to him as dad, as a child nuzzles into one's chest, father, that was unthinkable. For a Gentile Christian, they saw adoption by a God to be a son of a daughter or a daughter of a God was outrageous. It brought with them incredible wealth and security. But to do so was something only the son or daughter of the emperor could access. And this was completely inaccessible by ordinary people. It just didn't happen. But this is exactly what we know we receive as followers of Jesus. We are adopted as God's own. And this gives us identity. This gives us inheritance. This gives us a future. This crazy idea, this preposterous concept, actually cements who we are. Not who we are as employees, not who we are in money or in IDs or by any other marker, but as children of God. So, friends, the question is, what does all of this bring us? If we live by the Spirit, if we are freed from bondage, we are adopted by God. The answer is simple. It brings us hope. Hope for that which awaits us when Jesus returns. Let's look at verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. When I was speaking with my colleague about her experience with the Spirit, she acknowledged that this peace didn't remove the reality of the suffering around her or deny the pain that existed. Nonetheless, she felt strengthened and sustained in this space of suffering, knowing it wasn't the end state. And this is exactly what Paul encourages us to do. We have been justified by faith, yet we still live in a time of anticipation. We still live in a world that is marred by sin as we await Jesus' return. As Paul says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Many of us face suffering in our daily walk, sickness, betrayal, fear, death. We need look no further than the front page of any newspaper to know that this is a brute reality of our life. But as all, Paul also reminds us, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He reminds us that we have the sweetest fruits of the gift of grace through Jesus. And if faith in Jesus is just a foretaste just the first fruits of what is ahead, how much more incredible will the glory of God be when we are fully redeemed? The gift of grace is not just past tense. When we receive this, it is freely and lavishly given. If you consider yourself a Christian, you can know the gift of the Spirit that testifies to God's presence in your life. The amazing part is that this is not all. What we see now is not all we get. The gift of grace is past. We are justified. It is present. We are sanctified and it is future. We will be redeemed. As Paul says, hope in what we see in front of us, as if this world is all that there is, is no hope at all. But rather, there is the hope that this is only the beginning. We and the whole creation can wait in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. While we wait, we have a choice. To wrestle with daily dying to sin so that we may be led by the Spirit of God. This wrestle is difficult, but it is not futile. The point of it is to free us from bondage and to secure our identity as children of God. And as we do so, we can experience the peace of the Spirit of God, the peace that passes all understanding, so that we may bear through the sufferings of this world and live in hope of our full adoption by God as his children and the redemption of the whole creation. Amen.